Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? <laughs> Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly Boring Since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group, Incorporated. PNC Bank, a national association, member FDIC. The state of Tennessee is one of the few places where the sounds are just as breathtaking as the sights. Whether that's live music at a historic music venue, the crack of an open fire at a campsite in the wilderness, or hearing kids laughing as they explore what's right around the bend, Tennessee just sounds perfect. Start planning your trip at tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Welcome to the podcast. This is Molly. And I'm Kristen. Kristen, today we are taking on a little known but very fascinating woman from our history, Victoria Woodhull. Woodhull, yes. And seldom have we only spotlighted a single woman in our podcast. A lot of time we'll, times we'll talk about many women yeah. under one topic. But we're just going to focus on Victoria Woodhull because she had a pretty long life. She was quite a fascinating dame. Yeah. Definitely warrants her own podcast because she uh, she got around uh, in, in so many ways because so she's alleged to be a prostitute. Um, but she let's start out at the very beginning. 1838, Homer, Ohio. That is when Victoria Cleveland was born to what uh, Richard Brookheiser calls a large and feral family. Yes. Uh, and she did have some pretty, pretty sad um, situations to overcome her mother. Um, heard, heard voices and saw visions, which is something she passes on to her daughter. Um, and the dad is a scoundrel and, um, a petty thief. He goes around trying to sell people cures to their cancer that really don't cure things. And he makes his daughters go around as part of this traveling show, um, so that they can demonstrate their gifts for voices and, and visions and, and heal all these people they go to see in the small towns. Um, they were so poor that often the Claflin girls would prostitute themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, just to get out of the situation, Victoria marries when she's very young to um, Canning Woodhull, an alcoholic doctor. And they have two kids and the doctor gets drunk when he's delivering one of the kids. So the kid almost dies. Um, you know, she she has very a very sad childhood. But in hearing all these voices, she hears one that tells her, you are going to rise above all of this and you are going to rule the country. Pretty, pretty uh, revolutionary thought for the 1830s. Yeah, she took it pretty seriously. And um, she escapes her marriage sorry, when she was 15 years old. And she and her sister named Tennessee Claflin 
end up being taken under by uh, Commodore Vanderbilt. He's a shipping and railroad magnate, and he just loves Victorian Tennessee. Tennessee starts an affair with Commodore, and Commodore Vanderbilt is like, these gals are just so great and neat. I'm going to give them a lot of money. <laughs> and with that money, they started up the first female-run brokerage on Wall Street, which was Woodhull, Claflin & Company. Yeah, and this is um, this all starts in 1868. I think what's remarkable about this story is most of these... Um, Really, groundbreaking events take place in about four years' time. Mm-hmm. So yeah, 1868. She's up there with the Vanderbilts. They're they're um, getting a lot of attention because you know no woman has worked on Wall Street before. But sometimes not always the best attention because uh, even though there might have been some early suffragists and feminists who were like, yeah, women can have jobs, they certainly didn't think that women would start out right there on Wall Street. That was right. still kind of thought of as a man's world, and also not necessarily the nicest man's world. So yeah. they got up a lot of attention for being these women on Wall Street, which only magnified when they started their own magazine, Woodall and Claflin's Weekly, which was devoted to spiritualism and radical ideas. And we should note that during this time, uh, their brokerage company earned $700,000, which would have been a pretty penny back in the day. And that money got the, and their and their fame, got the attention of the New York suffrage wing, which was led by Elizabeth Cady Stanton and Susan B. Anthony. And it was kind of because of all of this that Victoria Woodhull sort of aligned herself with the suffrage movement of the time, but very quickly <laughs> their relations chilled. Basically, I think Victoria Woodhull just wanted more than these suffragists were were going to give her. Yeah. There was one interview she gave when she was working on Wall Street that said, no, I don't like the women's rights movement of the time because I don't think it goes far enough. I think we need to do more to emancipate women um, and not just give them the right to vote. That's what these um, organizations want is they want to push suffrage. And the question you kind of have to ask yourself is, did Woodhull ask for too much at a time when just trying to get the vote was mm-hmm. going to be a pretty big uh, demand? So as we go on through these next sort of five crazy years of her life, you'll see how um, by by wanting more than just the right to vote, she really alienated herself from these suffragists and uh, and, you know, maybe ruined her own life. So we should talk. Let's let's just give a quick character sketch, though, of of Victoria, just to give people an idea of what a. Spitfire, interesting woman she was. Um, she advocated vigorous exercise and rode horseback and walked at least three miles a day. And she also said that drinking at least two pints of water and eating fresh fruit were accountable for her good health and vigor. Now, in addition to being healthy and vigorous, she also advocated for something very radical of the day, free love. Right. After she uh, kicked that old alcoholic husband to the curb, she married again to um, a man named Colonel Blood. Mm-hmm. But the, the alcoholic doctor didn't really have much to much to do. So he ended up living with them also. So she's mm-hmm. in New York. She's got the husband, the first husband and the second husband. And, you know, perhaps a a grouping of, of fine boyfriends visiting her. And the thing is, she felt that marriage was this really unfair institution to women. It, you know, she would advocate against that. And so one time she's giving this speech. So this was in 1871. She's giving the speech and she says, uh, you know, marriage, marriage is bad for women. If you are just a um, woman who gets married so that you have enough money to live, you're no better than a prostitute. And in the middle of this, her sister of all people yells out, 
do you believe in free love? Just totally. And Victoria goes off topic, throws the speech away for a second and says, yeah, I do. I think we should all love whoever we want. And if they are not good to us, I think we should switch them out. Should just to I, paraphrase. Should I? And I will, I'll offer the, the direct quote just because it comes up in almost anything you read about Victoria Woodhull. You will get this quote in which she says, I'm a free lover. I have an inalienable constitutional and natural right to love whom I may, to love as long or short a period as I can, to change that love every day if I please. And with that right, neither you nor any law you can frame have any right to interfere. I mean, imagine in 1871. Women now. Imagine now. Yeah, women don't even have the vote at this point. And this woman is just saying for all the world to hear, sure. I believe in free love. Let's do it. Try so, to just try to hold me back. <laughs> so obviously the press that she gets, you know, when she gets press, it mentions that she's been associated with these suffrage movements mm-hmm. and it perhaps damages the cause, which is, I think is why she gets written out of a lot of women's history textbooks because the early feminists were so uncomfortable with her. Oh yeah. Um, so let's review. She's got the Wall Street firm. She's making a ton of money. She founded her own paper. Mm-hmm. Um, which was pretty radical. It's the first American newspaper to print the Communist Manifesto. Mm-hmm. She was the first woman to address Congress. Basically, she went in front of them and said, uh, according to these amendments, which I've studied, women already have the right to vote. And I think you should go ahead and honor that. And by the way, even though women don't officially have the right to vote, I'm going to run for president. Yes. In 1872, she announced her plans to run for president with the Equal Rights Party, even though women could not vote yet. And she started signing autographs as, and I love this, the future presidentess. Yes. So now we know what we'd ever call our first woman president. A presidentess. A presidentess. Uh, And she chose uh, Frederick Douglass as her running mate. And Douglass was like, no. (laughs) Thanks, but no thanks. I don't think she'd even ever met Douglas. Yeah. And uh, they talk about how at the convention when the Equal Rights Party nominated her, there was some discussion of like, well, you think we should send him a telegraph and make sure this is OK? And everyone's like, no, it'll be no, fine it'll with be it. Cool. Um, but obviously, Douglas didn't want to have that much to do with this crazy free love um, Wall Street alleged prostitute woman. Um, and, you know, around the time she declares her presidency is when that whole big free love speech comes out. So. Imagine, just imagine in today's cycle what it would happen if a presidential candidate gave that speech. Mm-hmm. It would go, we would go bonkers. And people of that day did go bonkers. And one person who got a little nervous about his association with Victoria Woodhull was Henry Ward Beecher, the famed Protestant minister. Famed Protestant minister and also brother of Harriet Beecher Stowe, who was one of the leaders of the New England suffrage, ling- suffrage wing alongside Lucy Stone. And they were much more conservative than the New York ones. Mm-hmm. They, um, you know, the New York feminists, the New York suffragists were um, were focused on the vote and other issues. And the other women were just like, well, let's take this slow. But so, Beecher says, I was going to introduce you, but I'm not going to introduce you anymore. You're bad for my brand. I'm a good Protestant minister. I'm not going to introduce a woman who advocates free love. And Woodhull says, oh, really? You won't advocate free love when I know for a fact that you are having affairs with many women in your church? So on October 28th, 1872, Woodhull publishes details of Henry Ward Beecher's affairs in her magazine, Woodhull and Claflin's Weekly. And oh, my does quite a media frenzy ensue. Yes. Not only is the media going crazy about this story about this, you know, famed good man, 
Um, but also Anthony Comstock, who you might remember from Comstock Laws, mm-hmm. he, uh, he does something pretty sneaky. He says, can you please mail me a copy of this magazine? So she sticks it in the mail, and the second it arrives at Comstock's home, he has Victoria Woodhull arrested for sending pornographic materials through the through mail. The mail. Um, and this would be sort of a key um, thing about the Comstock laws, and later it would prohibit women from mailing just information about birth control mm-hmm. to each other. So this is his sort of first big case, is he charges her with um, obscenity, and uh, she spends election day in jail because of Comstock's intervention. Uh, we don't know how many people voted for her, if any. Ulysses S. Grant took the election handily. But it's just amazing to think that within four years, this woman went from um, you know, being a traveling psychic with her dad and married to an alcoholic husband to trying to run for president at a time when women didn't even have a vote. Mm-hmm. And because of all of this negative press and spending time in jail and her reputation soured, she goes bankrupt. Uh, her house is taken away, I think, not once but twice. She's and homeless for a little while. Yeah, she's briefly homeless. And then I believe Commodore Vanderbilt comes back to the financial rescue and funds her escape to England. Yeah, she goes to England and becomes sort of well-known for philanthropy, using the Vanderbilt's money to uh, donate to all sorts of causes. And she dies there. When she dies, she finally did see women getting the vote. Um, but I think the really, and I mean, it's, you know, we've sort of gone over her, her high points, her crazy life. But I think the, the question to kind of ask yourself is what would we do if, if someone like Victoria Woodhull emerged today? Like, how would we react to that? Because in hindsight, it's pretty easy to see how Victoria Woodhull was, you know, for better, for worse, whatever way she went about it, was trying to advance the cause of women. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, the people who really kind of led to her downfall, were other women who were unhappy with the way she went about that. You know, the feminists, I mean, the suffragists kind of erased her from the history. Harriet Beecher Stowe was a big part of her downfall. And I was reading this NPR interview with um, one of Victoria Woodhull's descendants and with Amanda Friskin, who wrote a book about Victoria Woodhull. And she writes, um, she was a woman who was kind of a huckster, has a terrible reputation, who may have at least temporarily done the cause more harm than good, but she was the first woman to put her name out there and say, I want to run for president. It makes for a very complicated founding narrative for women. You want someone really beyond reproach. You want the George Washington for women. And you don't get that with Woodhull. She was a flawed first, but she is still the first. I mean, she is the one we have to live with. And I think that's a really interesting quote about this woman's place within women's history. And I didn't know Victoria Woodhull until about a year and a half ago. Yeah. So. Um, how we've almost kind of buried our first because we don't find her as perfect as, say, uh, George Washington. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you have any thoughts to share on Victoria Woodhull or other forgotten figures in women's history, send us a note, momstuff at howstuffworks.com. And we're not going to read any listener email today because I do have an announcement. This was my last show on Stuff Mom Never Told You. It's a sad announcement. Sad announcement. Uh, I wanted to be president when I was a little girl, which is perhaps why <laughs> this was my last episode. But um, Are you starting your campaign now, Molly? Is that what you're saying? That's true. You do have to get rid of your um, media media ties when you start running for president. But no, um, I'm still going to be at House of Works, but I have a lot of other duties that I need to be focusing on, and I don't want the show to suffer, so I'm going to step away from the show. I'm just still going to go on with Kristen. Um, but I did want to take a quick minute and just thank uh, so many people that have made this experience such 
an honor and a privilege. Um, I want to thank Jerry, our producer. Jerry. She was the one who guided us as we tried to turn our crazy little idea into a show and supported us in so many ways that we probably uh, don't even know about. Um, I want to thank the listeners out there who have um, just been amazing. They constantly surprise, I think, both of us. I can think I can speak for both of us here, Kristen, mm-hmm. uh, with their generosity and sharing their stories and their ideas. And they have rescued so many bad days where we're just so frustrated and then we get a nice email and it turns everything around. And of course, Kristen, I have to thank you. Um, it's been so much fun to do the show with you. And, um, you know, it didn't feel like work because it felt like I was just going to come talk to my friend <laughs> for an hour and it, not just talking to any friend, but talking to your smartest, funniest, coolest friend. And it was, um, a lot of fun. I've learned so much over the time of doing this and, I'll still be around, perhaps writing the articles that you'll be podcasting Indeed. about. Indeed. So I won't be far, but um, this is a good move for me. And I wanted to thank everyone out there, both in the studio with me right now and out there listening, for making this such a great job. So, Well, well Molly, you. You, will, you will be truly missed. And I also am now blaming you for the deluge of angry emails. <laughs> so we will now be getting momstuff at howstuffworks.com. No, don't make them angry. Look forward to a Saying, fun new chapter, going? a fun new chapter of Sminty. It with is true. Kristen at its helm. The, the podcast, uh, is not going away, but sadly Molly is, but you'll be able to keep in touch <laughs> one way or another. Head over to, uh, to Facebook and send Molly a farewell. And in the meantime, go visit, uh, you know what you can do, actually, as a tribute to Molly? Go on to HowStuffWorks.com and read all the wonderful articles written by her. And a final goodbye, Molly? Uh, just a so long. And, of course, a thank you again to everyone out there and in here. And like I said, you can still come visit me over at HowStuffWorks.com. Be sure to check out our new video podcast, Stuff from the Future. Join House to Fork staff as we explore the most promising and perplexing possibilities of tomorrow. The House to Fork's iPhone app has arrived. Download it today on iTunes. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly boring since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group Incorporated. PNC Bank, a national association, member FDIC. Tennessee just sounds perfect. Whether that's live music, the crack of a campfire, or kids laughing on an adventure. To start planning your trip, visit tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote.